Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. Hey guys, it is nice to see you. I was gone last week, and so it's always super nice to be back. Um, Sometimes you forget how much you actually like people at church when you're gone a week, and then you're like, oh, it's nice to see all you guys again. So um, so last week, where, where me and my family, where we went to, was kind of back up in our, our hometown area, neck of the woods, Minocqua, and I was doing a wedding ceremony for a couple of kids who um, came to our, our youth group quite a long time ago, almost a decade ago now. Um, and I got to say, I'm one of those, I'm one of those, I think, rare guys, I think, I really like weddings. Like, I just, there's something about them that I love. Um, you know, you, that moment when you see the bride just come through the door for the first time, and you, like, get choked up. And At least I do, okay? Um, but no, like, on my wedding day, I've said this before, on my wedding day, I literally cried the whole day. Seeing my little sister, I cried just a whole day. I was excited. I was, I wasn't, it wasn't like this, man, I, I don't know if I want to do this. It was, man, I can't believe it took me five years to get this girl to this point. Now she's about to say I do, and she can't walk out again. So I was super excited about that. And when I got to, to the place where we had the wedding last Saturday, this kid is a 25-year-old kid, and him and I have gotten to actually be really good friends. And he is he's a competitive dude. He is just a sharp kid. He, he's actually kind of called it. He's like a world-class athlete. The guy is multiple times at UW-Milwaukee. He was a conference champion in the 400-meter dash, I think even in the 200-meter dash indoors a couple times. Um, super good athlete. Now he's in the Army, and I've never seen him nervous before, but I walked in that church on Saturday, and the kid was freaking out nervous. It was a, like the awesomest thing I've ever seen. Like, kid is, and I just, I'm laughing because I'm like, hey, we've all been there. If you've gotten married, you, like, it's a big commitment. The first time that you sign on the dotted line for your first house, it's like, this is a 30-year contract. I might die right now. And it's even a little bit more with the wedding because it's like, this is forever. And so there's something good about that, kind of that nervousness, that, that feeling of, oh, my goodness. Um, there's something special in the relationship between two people who are married. Uh, you know, I, I loved, I've, I had been pushing for like seven or eight years with the, these two kids, like, hey, when you guys get married, I need to be able to do the, the ceremony. Because no kids in my youth group has ever let me do that. They always called the senior pastor. And so I was like, you guys better let me do this. And I was pushing for it. They always reminded me a little bit of me and Crystal. They were high school sweethearts. Started, they started dating in the same high school that me and Crystal did. Um, there is just something special about the marriage relationship. And it's actually something that we're going to talk about today. I'm not just talking about last weekend for no reason, okay? There is, we're talking about the marriage relationship today, not necessarily about us people, men and women in marriages, but the marriage relationship between God and his people. Um, There's something joyous about marriages, but we also know that while it can be all joyous and and a wedding is a huge celebration, we also know that a marriage can become a pretty ugly thing. Some of you have been in that place in your life where, man, I, I meant for that to be th- this forever relationship and something, something went wrong and a lot of hurt ensued. And that's what we're, we're looking at today with the story of Hosea. Um, 
there is a rich illustration about how God's relationship with people is like a marriage. And we find it in the story of Hosea. And so we've been going through this Jesus Storybook Bible series where we're taking stories from the Bible and seeing God's love for us in those stories. And I think Michael, last week, uh, our youth pastor in Beloit, he did a great job coming here. I don't if if you were here last week, um, that was, I think, the first time Michael's ever preached on a Sunday morning. And, man, I listened to it, and he did a phenomenal job um, doing the stuff that we're trying to do here and showing God's love to us through these stories. And so we're going to see it in the story of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. And this story is meant to point out this relationship that Jesus has with you and me. And we're going to start off by reading Hosea chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3, a lot of people say that this is the greatest chapter in the Bible, the most beautiful chapter in the Bible. Now, I think it's an awesome chapter, but I tend to think, you know, the, the ones where Jesus' friends come to an empty tomb, those are the chapters I'm like, that's the best. Uh, but this chapter, it's awesome because it really does give us a sense of the kind of intense love that God has for his people. So uh, we're going to start this in Hosea chapter 3, and it's, it's short, it's just five verses, but here we go. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I, brought, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings and to his blessings in the last days. Now, we need, I think we need to remind ourselves once again, when we're going through especially Old Testament stories, We've got to remind ourselves that these stories are not stories that are meant to tell us about ourselves. These stories are stories that are meant to tell us about who God is, about God's love for us. And I think that it's important for us to remember that any time that we, man, we get, if we're sitting in a sermon, if we're sitting reading scripture, it's not about what we're supposed to do. It's about what God has done for us. And the more that we that we see what God has done for us, I believe that it brings us to this place of worship. And it brings us to this place that we want to serve that God who loves us that way that much more. And so we remind ourselves, this is not a story that tells me about me. It's a story that tells me about God. With that being said, I believe that Hosea was a real man who lived in this world, who was a prophet, who God actually told him to go and marry a prostitute. Now, I don't know, that, that sounds like a crazy thing. But I think that there is a grand scheme that God has to this whole thing. I think there's a scheme that he has for the sake of Hosea. I think he's got something in mind for Gomer, his wife, who is a wayward woman. I think that he has something in mind for the nation of Israel. And a long time down the road, I think he's got something in mind for us, for the ways that we can see who God is through this story. And so I want to talk about uh, just kind of the history of Hosea. Uh, before we get a little further into it. Hosea was a prophet around the years of about 750 B.C. to 720 B.C. And at that time, Israel was at the height of their, of their nation. Like, 
the height of their prosperity, it was right now when Hosea is doing this prophetic ministry. The problem is, is that God is telling Hosea during this time a lot of things that is like, hey, Israel, there's destruction coming. A lot of bad stuff that he's telling these people. And they don't want to hear that. They have just gotten through um, the, the greatest dynasty in the history of, of Israel that, that ruled over the nation. And it, it was the Jehu dynasty. They went from about 842 B.C. to 753 B.C. So nearly a century, this, this family was in, in control. They were the kings. But when that dynasty came to an end, at the height of Israel's na- nation, nationality, at the height of it all, everybody else wanted to come in and now become the new dynasty. And so what happened is you'd have a king get in place for a year, and then they, their power would be usurped because somebody would come and assassinate this king. So while they're, be, while they're super prosperous, it's also a dangerous time in, in Israel's history. In fact, Hosea, of all the prophets of, of Israel, Hosea prophesied, over the largest amount of kings during his time because they were all getting killed. So while it was a prosperous time, it was also a dangerous time for Hosea to be given prophetic words of destruction because if these guys are willing to kill kings and usurp power that way, they're definitely, they'd be willing to kill Hosea. Um, to me, it sounds, it actually reminds me of if I were to go in or you were to go into the executive offices at Amazon or Apple right now and say, you guys are doing this all wrong. Like, your business model is awful. You need to either get out of it, sell your stocks, or just change things up. And Jeff Bezos would be like, dude, you're stupid. Like, that's ridiculous. And that's where, that's where Israel was at this point. They, they were prosperous like they'd never been before. Now, if, if Hosea would have gone to Judah, he might have gotten somewhere. Because Judah was kind of like Canaan's Bible Belt. They were following after God. They would have listened to Hosea, but Israel, they were much more like a a nation that had gone way away from God. They had brought in all these other foreign uh, religious practices. They were essentially a polytheistic nation at this point. They were serving many gods. And so things were not going the way that they should be going. And so God does something really fascinating through Hosea. He brings out of Hosea this enactment prophecy. And what is that? That just means that he's going to enact in the life of Hosea the prophecy that he wants for the nation of Israel. And so it starts in Hosea chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave birth, gave Hosea a son. If that chapter does, if that passage doesn't sound weird to you, you, I don't, you watch weird shows or something. Like God just told him to marry a prostitute. And what's going on here? The, this wife, this prostituting wife, Gomer, she is... Essentially, she is the example of what Israel is, a prostituting Israel. And these children that are going to come, this family that they, they have, is it an example of the prostituting Israel. 
that they have gone far away from God. Just like Hosea's wife, Gomer, goes after other lovers, Israel goes after other lovers. That's what this whole thing's about. The image of Hosea's marriage to a prostitute, though, it's not just an image of God's relationship with Israel. It's really an image of God's relationship with every single one of us. Hosea himself was somebody that could have been, could have been put in that context, context of somebody who was prostituting himself away from God. Because all of us do it. Any moment that we choose to put somebody or something above God, we have been guilty of what, I, of what Israel was doing in this time. And I think it's also clear, if, if we look at it deep enough, we could actually see that there's a lot of similarities between the nation of Israel, while Hosea was prophesying, and our nation, America. I want to be really careful when I say this, because I don't want you to think that when you read the Old Testament and you read about Israel, that you can put in place the word America there and you're reading the same thing. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, Israel was at the height of its prosperity. America's at the height of its prosperity. There's even the poorest in our country are prosperous by so many other nation standards. I think Israel, if they would have looked at themselves at that point, they would have not been able to believe that they could even be not prosperous one day. And I think if you look at around a lot of us, we can't imagine a time where America wouldn't be a prosperous nation. It's just, it's, it's just in our blood what we think of. But I think even more interestingly is Israel, at the height of their prosperity, they had gone away from God. They had gone away from being a God-fearing nation. I think you could kind of say that America's in that danger zone. So we've got some similarities. And so God has this purpose um, of forging this marriage between Hosea and this prostituting woman to show us what our relationship with God is really like. And so uh, there's three things that I want us to cover of what our relationship with God is really like. The first one is this. In this story, we see that our relationship with God is like a marriage. It's, it's all over this story. Our relationship with God is like a marriage. And there's unique things about a marriage. The first unique thing about a marriage is the priority in a marriage. There is nothing more important than the relationship between a husband and a wife. That relationship is the most important thing that they have. And it's so important that when nothing else is going good in the world, as long as the marriage is going good, people usually feel pretty okay. But on the flip side of it, if everything is going good in your life, but the marriage is struggling, everything else feels like it's struggling. Everything else seems like it's just this black hole. Uh, I know that there's days where... Um, my wife, Crystal, sometimes she'll just get kind of quiet with me. And there's a certain kind of quiet. It, it, it would be super subtle. I'm the only person that would know what it is, but I can sense she is ticked off at me. And I don't know what it is. And, I'm, and so the whole day, it doesn't matter what's going on. You know, we got like 13,000 kids in our house, so we, can't, we don't have time to talk about it during the day usually. So I'm like, okay, I got to wait till night to figure out what's going on. Um, and it doesn't matter what would be going on during that day, I can't fully enjoy it. I could win the lottery. You could give me one of those big, huge checks with a billion dollars on it. And I'd grab it and I'd be like, my wife is mad at me. Like, that's what would be going through my brain. 
There is a priority in a marriage relationship. There is nothing more important to it. Nothing more important. If life is not going, not going right, but that's going right, you're awesome. If life isn't going right, but your marriage is, you're all right. And so God is saying, I am your ultimate priority. Our relationship is like a marriage relationship. I am the ultimate priority, but also you are my ultimate priority. That's the beautiful thing about this. We are his priority. And sometimes what happens is we treat God like it's this big, huge, full, many-course meal, and he's the, he's the main dish. We don't treat him like he's the main dish, though. What we do is we treat God sometimes like he's a dietary supplement. And you know if, if you're somebody that, man, all you took uh, for like a week was dietary supplements, you would not be very healthy by the end of the week. You'd be feeling pretty awful. And God's saying, I want, I want you to make me the priority like I make you the priority. Don't make me a dietary supplement. Let me be the full course. Let me be the full part of that meal. There's priority in, in a marriage. The second thing that's unique about a marriage is the intimacy in a marriage. There is absolutely no one that knows a person better than somebody else's spouse. That's just spouses know each other so well. I can fool all kinds of people in my life. I can fool everybody if I wanted to. Um, I can fool my parents. I can fool my kids. I can fool myself. I, I can trick myself into believing that I'm something that I'm not. And sometimes um, my wife will say things to me like, Kellen, do you know that what you said to that person was like super inappropriate and hurtful? And I'll literally look at her and I'll be like, I have no clue what you're talking about. I have been awesome all day. And... No, she, and she's like, no, actually, you were really a horrible person in that one. And I'm like, oh, okay. My wife is able to see things in me that I am 100% blind to. And God is saying that that is what he wants to be for us. He's saying, I intimately know you in ways that a spouse can't even know you. And see, when we cut off the intimacy with God, there's no way around it. We miss the most important relationship that we have in our lives the one that can do the most for us. And so that actually kind of leads into this third thing that's unique about a marriage, and that is the power for life change. There is an absolute power for a life change in a marriage relationship. Um, I, I know my wife has a massive power to be able to change me. Uh, when I was growing up, I always thought of myself as a jerk. Like, I, I just found ways to say things to people, and they, I know people were like, oh, he's, he just, he's so mean sometimes. And there was, if somebody would come to me and say, hey, Kellen, you're, you're really a nice guy. I'd have been like, man, what are they on? I have totally fooled those people because I'm not a nice person. But now if my wife would say, Kellen, you, you, really, you really got a kind heart. You really, you're really a good dad. I would take that and I would run with it because there's something about when my spouse says something to me that it changes the way that I even think. You know, and if she says to me, Kellen, you're super nice, there's this thing that goes off in me, and I'm like, yeah, you eat that all, you losers. I'm nice. And then my wife would be like, Kellen, that wasn't nice. And then I would change again. I would change back, and I would be nice again because she has that power on me. Spouses have the power to change us. And again, that's where God is coming in, and he's saying to us, my relationship with you is meant to be like a marriage. I have the power to make you the best you that there is. 
But when we cut off God from our lives, there is no way for us to access the power that God has for us, for us to be the people that he wants us to be. All right, so our relationship with God, we see it in this whole story. It is like a marriage. And that's a great, beautiful thing. But there's a second part to this story that comes clear. And that is that our relationship with God is also like a bad marriage. Like a really bad marriage. And it's hard to believe that God could be in a bad marriage. Because God is God. Like, that's, that doesn't even seem possible. But in Hosea chapter 1, God tells Hosea to literally go and find a prostitute to marry. This woman, Gomer. And somewhere between chapters 1 and 3, we don't know exactly what happened, but they had split apart. <coughs> They'd split apart, and we don't know if it was because Hosea got sick and tired of his wife running out on him and going to other people. We don't know if uh, Gomer eventually just, like, I'm just, I got to just go do this forever. But for some reason, they had split apart, and in chapter 3 of Hosea, God tells Hosea to go back to his wayward wife. Now, I don't know about you, but this does not sound like a good marriage. This sounds like a very, very, very bad marriage. And God's trying to say, this is my marriage with you, Israel. This is what it is. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to be honest about the fact that sometimes we have wandering eyes, we have wandering hearts when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Anytime I put anything before God, I've become a little bit like Gomer. I've run into the arms of another lover. When I choose to put my desire for advancement in my workplace ahead of my desire to live with integrity, I've cheated on my marriage covenant with God. When I put my desire to have peace in my relationships with my kids above my need to go and teach them things that are, so they can live in a godly way, and I don't want the blowback that it's going to cause on me. When I've put peace above, above teaching my kids the right thing, I've cheated on this marriage covenant with God. When I let rules and customs of this world mold me and shape me more than I let the rules and, and customs of God's word and God's love for me change and mold me, I've again cheated on this marriage covenant that I have with God. We all do this all the time. The bottom line is we just are not, we're not great in this marriage with God. We are Gomer over and over and over again. But there's something really awesome that we also find in this story of Hosea. This story shows us a little bit of what God does in this relationship with us. God healed the marriage and he did so at great cost to himself. That's something that becomes really evident in this story. Because you remember, again, Hosea is representing God, and Gomer is representing Israel, this group of people that is just unfaithful to him. And when we get to Hosea chapter 3, for whatever reason, this woman, Gomer, has been put into sexual captivity. She's at the point where she is about to be sold into sexual slavery. We don't know if it's because she has run up a debt, and so now she has to be sold because of that. We don't know if, frankly, her pimp is trying to sell her. Now, I know that that's like the second time that that word has come up in, in sermons in this church in the last month. I promise it's not going to be a new thing. But it's something real in this story, okay? 
she's being sold. And, and it's this place of absolute heartache and pain. She's up for sale. And so the bidders that are, that are, are seeing whether or not this is a person that they want to bid on and purchase, they need to see everything they can of her. And so what would have happened is they would have put her probably up on a platform. And most likely what they would have done is they would have stripped her of all of her clothes or most of her clothes. And so now at this point, Gomer is standing on this platform completely naked. And I love, there's a, one of my favorite pastors, Timothy Keller, he put this in a, in a way that I think it really, it, it speaks really loudly of what was going on at this point. He said the only thing that she probably had left to do to shield herself from the, the total degradation that was going on, the lowest point of her life, the only thing she probably had left to do was to just close her eyes. And so she's up on this stage, naked in front of all these bidders, with her eyes closed. And the bidding begins, and there's a voice out there making bids that she, she there's something familiar about it, but she can't put her finger on it. And after a little while, all, all these, a bunch of the bidders, they start to, to fall out of the bidding. But there's one bidder, and she recognizes the voice after a while. And it's her husband, Hosea. And so now she's thinking to, me, to herself, what is Hosea doing here? What, why is he trying to buy me back? After all that I've done, all this time, I've gone after all of these other men. And he's still willing to, he's coming and buying me back. And then she starts to think, there's no way it's for good reason. There's got to be a catch to it. He is going, he is trying to get back a hold of me so that he can execute vengeance on me. This can't be a good thing. But then at, at the end of this, Hosea comes up with the, pri- the price to buy her back. And it was, it was actually the average price that, that it would cost to buy a slave. And here's what I imagine. The Bible doesn't say this, but here's what I imagine probably happened at that point. And I can say this because we see it in context. There was a tenderness that Hosea had for his wife. I imagine what happened was he probably went up to her at that platform as quickly as he could, and he put a cloak around her naked, shameful body. He covered her shame. I think it's almost exactly like what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. After they had sinned against God, the Bible says that they were naked. They realized for the first time that they were naked, that they had shame, and God literally covered them. He covered up their shame. How do we know that Hosea had this kind of tenderness? I think we see it in Hosea 3, verse 3. It says that, Then I told her, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Now, for us, that translation, it doesn't probably seem super tender. Actually, probably, like, ooh, that... That's all you're asking her to do? Don't sleep with any man. Like, that's not, that's low standards. Okay, what's actually being said here? He's saying to his wayward wife, I want to dwell with you. I want to not have you as a slave. I want you to be my wife. I want, to, I want us to build a family together. And so much so that I'm asking you, don't go and sleep with anybody else and not even with me. And I'll do the same. And emotionally, we are going to figure this out. We are going to come back together. And at that point, we are, I am going to be yours forever. That's what's really happening in this, in this situation. You see, there were habits that had gone on for years with this woman, Gomer. 
She had gone after other lovers for years. She'd been a wayward wife. She was probably, actually at this point, a sex addict. And something had to change. She had to give something up. But actually, Hosea had to give up even more. You see, he had to give up a financial price. It cost him money to get his wife back. But there was also a social price that he had to pay. Every single one of us, man, if we were friends with Hosea and we saw that he was trying to buy back his prostituting wife, what would we say? Like, dude, what you doing going after that woman? Are you crazy? Every single guy in this room has probably had a buddy who's gone after a girl time and time and time again, and she's been a cancer to him. Probably every woman in this place knows of a female friend that they've had who has gone back time and time and time again to that guy who's an absolute tool. Like, that's just something that it happens. There was a social price that Hosea had to pay. People looking at him like he was stupid. But I think more than anything, there was an emotional price that Hosea had to pay. See, he wanted to do the hard work that it was going to take to emotionally reconnect with a wife who had time and time and time and time again left him for someone else. And Hosea was willing to make that emotional connection. Here's what I think you and I have to recognize in this story. We must recognize God as our bridegroom. We have to recognize that Jesus is a better bridegroom than what we've ever known. The best marriage that you've ever seen in your life, if it was your parents, your grandparents, your best friends, whoever, whatever the best marriage is, Jesus is a better bridegroom than that. He is willing to go above and beyond. He is willing to go out and and seek you out. Hosea had to probably ask around for maybe years. Where is my wife? Where is she at? I got to find her. I got to get her back. Jesus is willing to go back and to pay back for us what it's going to take to get us back. See, every time that you and I feel like you are standing naked on a stage with the rest of the world looking at our shame... Every time that you feel like you're on that stage and there is no one that is willing to pay the price for you, Jesus is saying, I'm willing to pay that price. Doesn't matter how many times you or I have snuck off. It doesn't matter how awful the things are that we have sold ourselves into. Jesus paid the price on the cross to buy you away from every enslavement that you have. That's a fantastic thing. Before we're done here, I want to actually read to you a a portion of the last chapter in Hosea. Because I love what happens in this chapter. Hosea comes to the people of Israel, and he essentially tells them, it is time for you guys to repent. It's time for you to come back to God. And then God, after they repent, he says something so simple. And so I want to read this. Hosea 14, the first four verses. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I'm going to stop it before I read the last verse there. What Hosea is saying is he's telling his, his nation, go to God and ask for forgiveness. Say, God, receive us back graciously. 
And then he says, Assyria cannot save us. Assyria is this powerful nation. There is nothing in this world, God, except for you that can save us. And we are coming back to you. Our hands cannot make the gods that are better than you. And so then in verse 4, God says, I will heal their waywardness and I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. This morning, we need to remember that our waywardness is the first thing that's on God's mind that he wants to heal. You see, so much of the time we think that our waywardness is the thing that's on God's mind that he wants to, that he wants to get back at. That's not the case. He doesn't hold on to his anger. Jesus wants the intimacy and the life-changing power that a marriage-like relationship with you and me will actually entail. He knows that getting into a marriage kind of relationship with us where he's the bridegroom, he knows that you and I are going to be bad at this thing a lot. But he is going to keep on calling out to us. He's going to keep on tracking us down. He wants more than anything else to cover the shame that you feel in your life today. His number one priority is you. And so that's where we get to today. What, what did Hosea have to do? Hosea had to get to the point where she forsook every other one of her lovers. It had to be a time of just her and Hosea. And that's what it has to be for us at some point. God, I'm going to put everything else aside emotionally, spiritually, there's something not right. This marriage right now, it doesn't feel right. I am coming back to you. I'm going I'm to forsake everything else because you forsake everything for me. What is the shame in your life? No matter how ugly you feel this marriage relationship with God is today, he wants to cover every bit of the shame that you feel. He longs for you to have a whole and protect, to feel whole, to feel protected, to feel loved. The question is, are you willing to let God do a work in your heart? Are you willing to let him emotionally dig in and fix what's not right? Verse 15, you guys can come up as I'm finishing up here. I want to ask you guys again, what is the shame that you feel in your life today? What's that thing in you that you feel like Jesus needs to come in and cover it up? He needs to cover this shame. Where do you need emotional healing? Because I'm telling you, every single person coming into this room, we all struggle with baggage. We all struggle with things in our spiritual life and our emotional life where we need, we need a Jesus who, just like Hosea, when we're standing up on that platform and our shame is uncovered before the world and we feel like no one would want to come and pay for us, we need Jesus to come and pay for us. We need Jesus to come and cover our shame. And he's willing to do that. Are you willing to let him come and do that this morning? You Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.